Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're now in lesson 29. Last time we were uh, talking about Israel and Nehemiah and the animosities between uh, the Samaritan community and that of Judah and the background uh, for it. And then later on when we come to the New Testament, we read about James and John. In the book of John, we read the story where uh, they came to a town uh, and they were on the way to Jerusalem, a Samaritan town, and they were not hospitable to them. And so their natural reaction was there, just like that of the Jewish community. And they said uh, to Christ, Lord, shall we bring down fire from heaven to consume them, like Elijah did, you know. In other words, so the enemies of God, you know, the little dead dogs, you know, whom do they think they are? Well, that was a, the natural inclination of, uh, of the people of Judah to feel that way, and especially uh, when, they, when they were in opposition to, uh, to the one that uh, was on the scene, now Jesus Christ himself. You know, that's the way John and James felt about it, and I'm sure others did too. And God had to rebuke them for it, that is, Jesus Christ. Rebuke them for it, and told them, you know, not of what manner of spirit you are. You know, it's one thing to hate Babylon, it's one thing to hate evil and iniquity and all that, but you do not hate people. You do not desire the death and destruction of human beings who are created in the image of God. And, uh... That's, that's the way he feels about his own people, regardless of how bad they are, regardless of the fact that they killed him. He doesn't hate us, he doesn't hate his people. He, uh, he died for us because he loved us, not because he hated us. And so, uh, that's a lesson for us to remember there. We're talking about Babylon and all the evils of Babylon and the pagan religion and uh, the Babylon war to come out of, but we should not harbor any hatred, any malice, any darkness, any evil in our heart toward anybody, uh, be it in that generation or today. There are a lot of people who are hating, you know, the president and hate this and hate that and hate those conspiracy people and hate uh, all kind of people and they forget that when you do that, you're of another spirit. And Christ will tell you exactly the same. You do not know what manner of spirit you are. And those are the feelings that you hate and that you have, you know, in your heart. Now, we should hate Babylon. Yes, we should hate counterfeit. We should hate evil. We should hate lies and deceptions. We should hate all the vomit that entered into us, all the false concepts and ideas, never people. Because God is going to redeem all of human beings, with the exception of the incorrigible, and they will be his sons and daughters and live for eternity. And how are you going to face them? If that's the way you feel about them today, and this is what you spoke about them, you're going to have to uh, apologize to an awful lot of people. So let's uh, take that uh, into mind. And so that's what Christ told them. Uh, I, I came to save people. I did not come to destroy them. And uh, then uh, we read later on, in terms of the story of the Samaritans, speak, you know, speaking about the religion and the false concepts and the counterfeit, not necessarily the people themselves, because after all, even Christ himself later on uh, preached to them, and uh, many of them were converted. Uh, later on, even uh, when his disciples went to Samaritan towns. So, but, uh, in specific, uh, we read about the history of the church in terms of right and wrong, false and true. And this is what, uh, what Christ told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent them on a commission to go to all the cities of Israel and he's speaking about his own nation, his own people. This is what he came to. He's not talking about those who were beyond the Euphrates, those ten tribes. Some people get confused about that. Every time they see Israel, they think only about the ten tribes. And they forget that all the tribes were Israel, Judah and the, the other tribes they were all Israel. Ephraim was Israel, and so is Judah is Israel. And so Christ told them, don't go to 
to uh, the cities of the Samaritans. Don't go into the Gentiles. Don't go here and don't go there. Only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning to all the Jewish towns, uh, the people of Israel. And he did not want the Samaritans at that point uh, to be involved to hear the gospel because, remember, they had a mixture of truth and error in their religion and until he's ready to deal with them, uh, he said, this is not a good time to do it. And then uh, we read in uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus Christ is speaking to the Samaritan woman, who, on one hand, says, remember the background that I told you about, the Babylonish religion, and a mixture of truth into it, and also some people of Judah, and probably some even of Israel, that remained in the cities of Samaria, of the poor. Um, probably, you know, as time goes by, that's natural, people do it. Uh, you live nearby, you do a little commerce with them, you fall in love with a girl here and there, a boy, uh, that look cute, you know, maybe Samaritan or Babylonian, whatever, but, you know, people think, think differently about it. After all, you see among ourselves, people who do it to this very day. And uh, they intermarried. So the Samaritan had a little bit of Israelite blood in them, but uh, on a whole, they were Babylonian to the core. And so this woman, who was a Samaritan, uh, she says on one hand, how come you Jew, you know, you are of the Jews, you speak to us who are Samaritans? Because, you know, we have no dealings among us. You know, you, you leave us alone, we leave you alone. And we have animosities between us. So she was surprised that a Jew would speak to her, especially a woman, not just a, a man. But on the other hand, she says, when he, when he talks about the well, uh, from which he asked her to give him some water, she says, well, our father Jacob gave us this well. I mean, look, look at the confusion in the mind of these people. On one hand, you know, they know that they are Babylonians where they came from, and on the other hand, they say, our father Jacob. Well, how is he their father? Jacob was not the father of the Babylonian people. And yet, that's what a religion later on claimed to be. You know, we are the people of God. We are the Israel of God. You see, they claim all those uh, fathers and law and teachings and people that are of the children of Israel, they claim it to themselves. You know, nothing new about it. And so, this is what she says. And some Jews, as I, as I said, you know, married uh, Samaritans, but that didn't make the, the Samaritans Jews or Israelites, just because they had a little bit of it. In other words, just because, you know, uh, they have uh, some truth, that doesn't make them the real people of God. And so Jesus Christ told her, you know not what you worship. When they spoke about the subject of where do you worship, Jerusalem or, uh, or in uh, Samaria. He says, you don't know what you are worshiping, you Babylonians. You know, you, yes, you worship God, but you don't know what you are worshiping because you've got a false religion. That's what he's saying in essence. He says, we Jews, we know what we worship. You see, you know, with all the confusion that was in Judah, still, they basically had the law of God, the temple of God, sacrifices and uh, teachings. They had an awful lot of knowledge and understanding. And as for the rest, God was going to deal with that. But as a whole, he said, we Jews, in contrast to you Samaritans, you see, because she doesn't know that he's Christ. She doesn't know that he's uh, of the truth. She knows nothing about that. All she knows is Jews and Samaritans. So that's the way he speaks to her. We Jews, we know. You Samaritans, you don't know. In other words, you Babylonians, you don't know. And that's why we have no dealings with you. So it says, we Jews, we know. For salvation is of the Jews. It's not of the Babylonians. It's of the Jews. That's what God says. Come out of Babylon. Because as long as you insist on being a part of Babylon, there isn't going to be any salvation for you. No matter how much truth you have. That's not good enough for God. And so is the religion of God. It has to be a pure religion. And his people have to be pure people. And his nation has to be a pure nation. And his true church has to be a pure church. Not just any church. 
even though it might have a lot of truth in it. And many people fall for it because they say, well, you know, they've got a lot of good things about them. Of course they do. You know, all nations of the earth, all religions of the earth have a lot of good things about them. What does that mean? The Babylonians in the days of Abraham had a lot of good things. They had the court of Hammurabi and ah, an awful lot of them. Very, very good laws. If you study them, they are the laws of God. Many of them, and then injection of their own. And uh, that's why some historians who have no knowledge of the truth of the word of God, and no faith, when they read the court of Hammurabi and then they read the law that, uh, that Moses gave Israel, which God gave him, they in their own mind, being confused, they thought, well, Moses copied it from Hammurabi. Now, that's how confused people are. In other words, they do not know the difference between the true and the, and the false, between the counterfeit and the true, Dawabil, so to speak. And so, this is what God told, uh, told her in the person of Christ. He told her the Babylonian, in essence, is telling all, uh, all those who are of that mystery religion, salvation is of the Jews, not of you. And therefore, the people of God must come out of that Babylonian religion. Then later on, we read in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 8, about Simon, Simon Magus, who was performing signs and wonders, and who knows what he was doing, he was using witchcraft. Obviously, mystery religion, uh, Babylon, and this is what they were all into, and they were all amazed by that, and they all said, oh, this is the power of God. You see, that's how confused they are. And to this very day, there are people who feel that way, but the, the billions, and they're being deceived. And God says, the whole world is being deceived. And that, that great fallen church deceives the whole world. And all nations of the, of the earth, God says, is, uh, uh, that is, all the nations of the earth are totally linked to that system, spiritually and physically and economically in every way. And the thing is great, it's good. God says, you come out of it. You are my people, otherwise you're going to have to suffer the same plagues. And so this Simon Magus, when he heard the preaching of the truth by Philip, and so the people who received the Holy Spirit, he was fascinated by it, and he himself went that far to be baptized. But what were they, his intentions? You see, that's how the grievous wolves come from within, take on, you know, the, the, the true religion like the Samaritans did. You know, they invited that priest, or they called for that priest to teach them how to fear God. And people continued to do it. And so they deceived many. And so he was baptized, and uh, of course he did not receive the Holy Spirit because God knew what that person is all about. And when Peter came, he told him exactly what he thought about him, what God thought about him, because he was still in the depth of lawlessness, and that's what that religion is all about. There's an awful lot of lawlessness today, and made it, they made it very convenient to justify themselves to that lawlessness. They say, well, the law is done away with. And there are many in our midst who believe that. And as soon as you mention the law, there are many who call themselves the people of God. They had immediate resentment to it, or against it, or toward it. They don't want to hear about it. You know, just tell us about grace and love and sweet, nicey, nice, ethereal subjects. Uh, don't, don't clobber us over the head with the law of God. We don't want to hear about it. Uh, that was the uh, spirit of uh, that Babylonian Simon Magus. So God tells us to come out of this attitude. When we have this attitude, we're still members of the Babylonian religion, whether we agree with it or not. And that's the way God feels about it. And that's the way he told his people many times. You think you are righteous. You offer me sacrifices. You do this and you do that. And in your heart you are still in Babylon or in Egypt. And he does not accept it. And said, in vain do you worship me. And so this, this Simon Magus was a priest of the mystery of iniquity. And he wanted to have a part in that, uh, in that power. To do his own thing. To teach his own 
to continue, you know, his own false religion. And so he was fascinated by that, and he wanted that mixture, in essence, to continue the truth and error, just what the Samaritans did. And that was their way. And so some historians, uh, I haven't checked into it, but maybe some of you may know, some historians claim that uh, this um, Simon Magus uh, came to Rome, finally, by now, you know, he's accepting the, the name of Christ, and preaching Christ, and, you know, injecting his own concepts and ideas, in other words, a mixture of Babylon and, and the faith and the truth, as it has always been, and uh, he was preaching his own style of what became known later as Christianity, and became the first bishop of Rome, the first Peter, you see, his name was Simon, remember the name of Peter, Simon, Peter, that was uh, the, the apostle of uh, Jesus Christ, and so he uh, took that identity, in essence, uh, being a, a counterfeit priest, wanted all that power and adoration for himself, and went there and pretended to be, and that's why many believe that Peter was there, when it could actually be that it was uh, this false one, a pretender, you know, a counterfeit. And so he got many followers after himself, and that became the religion that is called Christianity. That's why they've injected into their so-called Christianity all the pagan concepts of the past, and pretty soon it was a totally different religion. And yet, the apostles, who knew exactly what was happening, condemned it and called it the mystery of iniquity. That's what Paul said and that's what others said. They knew exactly what's behind it. In Revelation, uh, Christ speaking to his churches, he speaks about the false followers that he had among the church, of all places, among the church. That's where they would like to be, among the true believers. In other words, the true believers are always inside uh, this context of Babylon. Because God didn't take uh, his people out of Babylon physically. That's something for the future. But many are being influenced by it. And so he said this uh, false uh, disciples who are now members of what became later on known as Christianity, they claim to be Jews, but they are not. You see? Because salvation is of the Jews. That means salvation is of those who know the law of God, the truth of God, the teachings of God, and follow it. Not just in word, but in deed, in heart, in every way. That's what Christ was talking about. That's the kind of Jews that he was talking about, the spiritual Jew. And beginning, obviously beginning with the physical nation where he did his work and then many of them became converts so they became spiritual Jews, not only physical. But that was a concept. Salvation in essence, he says, is of Israel and not of Babylon, of the true religion, not of the false religion. And the Samaritans went for that, for the mixture of both truth and error. And so it's, it's uh, you know, it was a matter of history. And that's how we came to this religion that we all know today is Christianity, and many people don't realize that, and God says, come out of it. And many in our midst who knew better are going back to it, because they don't see any difference between one and the other, as the children of Israel have always done, nothing new under the sun. And so as the first century rolled over, a new counterfeit religion appears on the thing, calling itself Christianity. In Matthew 24, God made it very plain, the person of Christ. And he is the rock of Israel, the deliverer and the Savior, who will come again to deliver Israel. And he said, many shall come in my name. What was his name? His name was Christ. That is, the anointed, the Savior, the Messiah. They shall come in my name. That means preach about me. A lot of things preach about me, because that's how Satan works. You deceive people with the truth and mixture of error. Not only error. So they shall come in my name. Talk about me, speak about me, teach about me, call the religion by my name when I never call them or call upon them or ask them to name the religion by my name. He never took the credit to himself, but he always pointed everybody to God. 
He says, this will come in my name and shall deceive many. That's how they do it. A mixture of truth and error. And instead of the terminology of God that God himself used, words that came out of his own mouth, which he put on his laws, the labels that he put on it. He called it Torah. My Torah. Always he said, remember my Torah. I did not come to destroy the Torah. All the prophets, people hate it. Even many people of God hate that name. They'd rather call it by the Babylonish names. And so instead of Torah, instead of prophets, instead of Psalms, they call it Old Testament. When Christ himself referred to it plainly, it is written of me in the Torah, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. He didn't call it Old Testament. There's a covenant, yes, that was an old covenant, what you find in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But that doesn't make the whole thing old, old stuff. See, that was sinister to apply this name to it, to the whole thing, because by that they were saying, well, that's all gone, you know, gone away and uh, it's not for us, and so forth. We've got something new. So people like to say, well, we are New Testament church. What do you mean by that New Testament church? From what point of view are you speaking? If you don't understand the whole picture. And so, this is what they are using. Instead of commandments, instead of statutes, instead of judgments, instead of precepts, instead of testimonies. What do they say? Well, now we are Christians, we have Christianity, we have Christian doctrines, Christian principles, Christian ethics, Christian values. A good thing is called a Christian act. What about a Muslim or a Buddhist that does something good? What do you call it? You see? you got a problem there. When he does exactly the same as a supposed Christian that does. It does make a Buddhist a Christian, you know, a good Christian because he does those kind of things. Uh, totally unrelated. Of course, he must be doing good. And all nations of the earth do a good to a degree. And that, that's how people deceive. That's what Christ said. This will come in my name. Put my label on everything. The Christian everything. They even Christian battleships and, and uh, submarines and all that. Everything. Christ is everywhere. And they deceive many. They make people believe that they are worshipping the true God. Yet they are all into idolatry and deception and to Babylonian system and theology. And so they call it by all those names. Christian, Christian this and Christian that. Catechism, Pauline doctrine, uh, Christendom, Christian morality. Instead of God says, this is the way. That's what the disciples of Christ always called it. The way. They never called it by all the other names that another religion, a false religion, has popularized into this very day, even many of those who call themselves God, the people of God, by nature, because of where they came from, are using this terminology. Now, by itself, apart from that and the deception, if you do understand properly and comprehend it, nothing wrong about calling it Christian doctrine, because doctrine means Torah, that's all it means, or Christian principles. Uh, in other words, meaning that this is a principle that Christ taught. But you have to understand the sinister concept behind the reasoning of those who created a new religion and applied the word Christ to everything. And then, once you apply a lot of truth, you see, you inject a lot of truth and say this is from Christ, and then everybody accepts it, then you can inject a lot of poison with it and call that too Christian. And that's how people deceive. But when you talk about the statutes of God, the law of God, if God didn't spell it out, if it's not in his word, if it's not in the law, that God says, the Torah, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one jot or one tittle, not tiny little law, statute, or judgment, or precept, or testimony, shall pass from the law. That's what he's talking about. That is, some people say, well, the Ten Commandments, only the Ten Commandments. 
That's another form of deception. To think that only the Ten Commandments may mean the law of God. God says you keep all statutes, judgment, precept, testimony, everything that is applicable, obviously. There are certain things that are not. So you have to distinguish there also. But the apostles constantly, you read in the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 10 to 18, especially verse 14, and then verse 21, then chapter 26, verse 6 and 7, and many other places where they constantly called it the way. That was the terminology that was used from all times. Not Old Testament, but from the Torah, and the Psalm, and the writings. They all use that, the way. This is the way that you should go. As Abraham was commanded, walk before me, you know, in the way of righteousness. And yet, this religion changed everything. And that's how subtle it is. It's very clever. And only the wise can understand what's really behind it, and how it grows on you, when you don't realize the difference, and then you get sucked into the whole thing. And that's how people get deceived and confused. So we have to know the difference also. Nothing wrong by saying, well, it's a Christian act. When you mean by that, that's the way Christ would have acted. And nothing absolutely wrong with that. But understand what's really behind it in terms of the terminology of this false religion and what they did with it. And so Christianity, invented, you know, in this new religion became known as Christianity. Instead of God's holy days, the Sabbath, Passover, and etc. Now they had Sunday, they had Easter, they had Christmas, they had Halloween, they had everything else but the knowledge of God. And instead of the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, they got constantly repeat and, and calls it, they call it Pentecost, count 50. He told them to count 50, but he didn't say this is the name of the feast. It's a feast of, Pan- or feast of Shavuot, feast of Weeks. There was a purpose for using that terminology. They changed that too. And people take it for granted. And they don't realize what happens in between. That's how Satan deceives, uses truth, and injects some poison into it, and twists it. And it's so subtle. And as Paul said, we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. He appears as an angel of light. And his ministers appear, appear as ministers of righteousness, not unrighteousness. And that's how they deceive many. And so Paul warned the disciples about uh, the disciples of Christ about the rising mystery of iniquity and the counterfeit religion of Babylon now in the disguise of Christianity and Peter and Jude had done the same and other disciples they condemned that religion they saw how the whole thing was being uh, introduced where people are using the truth and perverting it and twisting it and people are falling for it and especially people that came from other other religions, not of the religion of Judah, uh, but other religions who had no background whatsoever in the, in the Torah or in the Psalm or the prophets or the writings, they were so much more susceptible to it and fell for it, so much more so. And it was convenient for them to bring their own religion and not change names. They even used the same statute of mother and child, and now they called it Mary and the Holy Child. And most of the major big churches, including the Vatican, uh, are built on former temples of pagan idolatry. And people just go for it. Because now, as soon as, uh, as you christen it, so to speak, now it becomes Christ. Of Christ, Christian. And that's the way it goes. And God says, come out of Babylon. Because you cannot bring an awful lot of truth with poison in it and worship me with it. You have to totally come out of it. And that's what he told Abraham. Even out of Haran, the land far away from Babylon, into which he took his family, he said, even from that place, totally come out of it, and come into the land of Canaan, 
And even then, he had to dwell by himself, you know, in the, outside of the big cities, not to be uh, mingling with the, with the inhabitants of the land and their religion. And so, in Revelation 17, uh, Christ and God, through the Apostle John, is denouncing this false religion, labeling it Babylon Mystery the Great, the great whore, the mother of harlots, in other words, many other churches that came out of it. And many of us are going back to those churches, calling it mainstream. You see, when the law of God, when the truth of God, when the purity of the knowledge of God is no longer in your heart and mind, it's so easy to go back to where you came from. Israel had always done that, leaning to their own understanding, nothing new under the sun. And so he called it, in, in chapter, uh, he just spoke to his own churches and uh, their problems. He spoke about Jezebel, that woman that was deceiving his own people to offer, you know, meat to idols and eat those sacrifices and fornicate and do all those things. You see, it was a mixture of pagan, uh, Babylonian uh, teachings and the truth. And people fell for it because it was nice, it was good, it was appealing, it was desirable. And besides, the law is done away with, and people like that. So, there was no law, no holy days, no Sabbath, no clean, and everything was okay. Uh, heaven and hell was introduced in the, instead, instead of uh, the kingdom of God on earth, the immortality of the soul, you go into a non-existent place, where God says, nobody, nobody ever goes up to heaven, everybody stays on this earth, this is where I come, this is where heaven and Jerusalem is coming. In other words, you don't go to heaven, heaven comes to you. And that's the way God planned it from the beginning, and that's where the fathers, it says in Hebrew, Abraham is specific. All of his faithfulness and obedience was toward that city whose builder and maker is God in that name. You see, he knew the future. And it was not going to heaven, but it's going to be a part of this earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. And this is where God is coming down with his city once everybody is made righteous. And sin and iniquity is abolished. And mainly through the sacrifice of Christ and repentance that is coming to Israel and then to the whole earth. And so, because of all this uh, deception, this new religion invented this new concept that became known as uh, uh, the replacement theology or dispensationalist in a different form, where the church now replaces Israel and uh, the new people, you know, the New Testament replaces the Old Testament. And what they think by that, you know, the law is done away with and, and so forth. And so the overwhelming majority of those who call themselves they call themselves Christians. I didn't call them Christians. He didn't say from now on I wanted to call, be called Christians. Christ made it very plain when he prayed, you know, in John 17. He said, I want you, he's speaking to the Father, to put them in your name. The name of God. In other words, they're going to be called the Church of God. You see, he didn't say, put them in my name. But in your name, because he is the head of the family in heaven and earth. So it's his religion. And that's why the apostles always say the churches of God. They didn't say the churches of Christ. They said the churches of God. Because Christ was a servant of God, and he said himself, of myself I can do nothing. And whatever words that I give you, all the commands that I give you, I receive them from God. So everything comes from him. He directs everything to him. And yet what does the false religion say? Everything is Christian. Christ, 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 everywhere Christ. And they come in my name and say that I am Christ and call everything Christ and my church is Christ, is the church of Christ and so forth, and deceive many. And so they had no relationship whatsoever with the Father, because after all to some people, the Father became the God of Israel, that old harsh monster, and who wants to have a relationship with him? You see the whole deception behind it. And so 
they have a, a replacement theology. And the majority of us came out of this counterpart religion, that is counterfeit religion, which is called Christianity. And how much, how much are we still in it? We must examine ourselves. How much are we still in it? How much of its teachings are still lodged in our mind and our heart? And at 739, Stephen speaks about Israel, his own people, that time in particular about the people of Judah. But he was speaking about the whole nation of Israel. And he's recounting the whole story from Abraham, from the calling of Abraham, the beginning. That was the beginning, you see, uh, the new genealogy. The new race, the new people, the new plan of salvation for all of humanity. And he says, these people of Israel, though they came before Mount Sinai, they heard God, they saw all the signs and wonders and miracles, they received the law of God, they were the people of God, but he says, but in their heart, they turned back to Egypt. And they're doing it to this very day. And many of them don't even realize it. And so they don't see any difference between them. And some people say, uh, and I hear it all the time, unfortunately, among God's people. Well, you know, just because that man uh, doesn't know anything about the Sabbath doesn't mean that he's less of a Christian than I am. And so if he sits, you know, around a table and he has an Easter ham in front of him, and then he pronounces the name of Christ, it doesn't make him less of a Christian than I am, and so forth and so forth. You see how deep we are into the Babylonish religion. And that's why God said, come out of Babylon, or you're going to be partakers of head plagues. Totally come out of this deception. And as we go through the scriptures into the story of the identity of the true church of God, you'll see it more and more and more, not from men's point of view or men's words. Now I'm just giving you an introduction and a background, but from the words of God, the way he said it, and his feelings and his emotions, and his disgust with his own people, open time, even the spiritual ones, now and then, uh, will be there for us. So we can understand not only the evil about us, but also the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness and the long-suffering and patience of God with us. But in spite of all, He always says to His people, regardless how bad you are, I'm going to promise you, yes, but I will never leave you, never forsake you, never reject you. And yet this is what the false religion has said about the people of God. And so they call themselves the true church. And how much are we a part of it? And so in their heart they turn back to Egypt, Stephen tells his own people. And today how different are we from that? You see, it's very important to realize that. So, let's go now, in more specific, into the history of the church itself. You see, nowadays, what we find ourselves is in a, in a situation where there is confusion in our own midst. Lots of churches of God that came to the knowledge of the truth. Many were a part of one organization, many were not. An awful lot were a big group, and they are splintered in all directions. And many of them have at least some different doctrines, not much, thankfully, and overwhelming the majority of us, in spite of politics and divisions, I still more or less believe the same, which is great news. But on the other hand, there's still confusion in our midst. And there are many who claim uh, that they are the true church. And uh, that's great confusion. That's Babylon. That's a part of Babylon. God has come out of it. How can we all be the servants of the living God and be so divided and confused and have differences of doctrines and ideas and concepts and all that? Well, maybe because we are not really based on the Bible as we think we are. Now, 3,500 years ago, God brought his people, Israel, out of physical Egypt and gave them a unified religion. There weren't many churches there. There was only one, one church. A unified religion. Not many interpretations to the same thing. It was one code of conduct and teachings. He entered into a marriage covenant with them. 
It was one, one, one wife, one people, one woman, descendants of Israel now, as a nation, as a people. And with them, and he became their husband and their God. But their constant straying into spiritual Egypt, and later on in the land of Canaan, into other religions of Babylon, and all of them were religions of Babylon to begin with, into other gods, uh, thinking, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Once you remove the, the, the border, so to speak, where the priest was supposed to always erect those borders for Israel to know the difference between the holy and the profane, but once you remove those borders, like you said, the Lord is done away with, oh, that's old stuff, that's not for me. Now you don't know what is right, what is wrong. And now you don't see any difference between you and the nations around you, or the religion around you. And that's why many people are going back to where they came from. As the proverb says, you know, that was mentioned later on by uh, one of the disciples, I believe it was Jude, Jude maybe, I'm not sure, this point, but it says, you know, just like as the proverb says, the dog that went back to his own vomit, and the sow to the mire, you know, from which it was cleansed. And this is what happens to people once they lose the difference between the right and wrong, and the borders are removed, and they don't even know anymore what is holy and what is profane. And this is what happened to Israel time and time and time again. And so, that's the reason why they ended up in Egypt. And so they lost the true, true knowledge and teachings of the true church, of the true congregation of God. And we have to ask ourselves, how much different are we today? We all feel that we know the identity and teachings of the false church, the Revelation 17 churches, but how well do we all know the teachings, the true teachings, the pure teachings? of the true church of God. How, how well do we know the, even the true identity of the church of God? To what point are we in the same bed, so to speak, with the Babylonian religion and their theology and their understanding of what the true church is all about? Which is basically the replacement theology. And to one degree or the other, I think all of us believe it, even though we don't like to acknowledge it in that way. And as we go through this study, you'll see it more and more clearly how far we have strayed from the true knowledge of the true church of the living God, the one that is going to marry. And so, God says to us, come out of Babylon, because to come out of Babylon, we must know what is Babylon. And we don't know fully what is Babylon. We know largely, but not all the way. And the question for us today is also is, who and what is, and that's for the next series, we're going to cover that, who and what is the true church and the future bride of God, of Christ if we truly know, and also the true city of God. If we truly know, then we shall also know what sins are, and what sins to put out of our lives, what sins are unrighteousness, because some people think that some sins are righteousness today, like the clean and unclean. People say, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. I can eat it. In the old days, they didn't have a refrigerator, so it was a different story. Yet, when God says it's an abomination today, yesterday, and forever, and it does not change, how can people say what is unrighteous is not righteous? Unless God himself changed his mind, which he didn't. Because he said, I don't change my mind. And we shall see later on what God is going to do with those who eat the unclean food. And so it's important to understand that. Now, when we talk about the, about the true church, let me interject here a little information. Because that too was totally perverted and confused. And even most people don't even know what church is. What does the word church mean? And uh, obviously it's not a Hebrew word, it didn't come from the Bible. It, it was something that entered later on in terms of the vernacular and all the time. Uh, it's a Greek word, I understand uh, what I can see in the dictionary. 
Kiriakon, that was the ancient name, Kiryu or Kiriakon, uh, K-Y-R-I-A-K-O-N, and then a couple of, uh, of scratches on top, for those who know the Greek language. In French, they use different things like that. In Hebrew, we have an awful lot of those things. The punctuation, the colic. And so, the word church comes from that, Kiriakon, because obviously, the Bible that we read in English, or we read in French, or we read in Spanish, and all that, came from uh, another language, and so in the translation, things change a little bit. It also means doma. Doma, uh, this is where you have the dome, because when they built houses in the ancient times, you know, they had a dome on top. And so, Kiriakon, church, uh, was referred in essence to a house, that is the Lord's house. And that, that's what they called church. Uh, it was referred to a house. And that's why in so-called Christianity, uh, they use uh, the building for a church. But it also meant the people that were in it, a segment of that people, the entirety of that people, and for that matter, it had nothing to do with only Christianity. It's a structure for a house of God. And the pagans can have their own house and the, and the thing that they're worshipping their own God, and that becomes their church. And the Jews had a synagogue, and that too is the church. That means it's the Lord's house. You see, you can apply that word also to the temple, the house of God. And that's all it means. And so, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting to know that, uh, how it was and how it became. And then, in specific, for the last 2,000 years, one religion used it for itself. Um, almost, you might say, exclusively. And so the whole world now, when they think about the church, the ecclesia, and they think about that great church that is known out there in established Christianity. And then others say, no, we are the true church, speaking about a little one. Uh, in other cases, they're speaking about uh, the terminology. And uh, in Hebrew, it's very interesting. I had a little uh, twist there in the right direction. You know, you, make, you put things upside uh, down, and when you go uh, the wrong way, and that's what some people said about the religion of God. When Paul came teaching the truth of God, they say he turns the whole world upside down. Instead of realizing, no, he was turning the whole world right side up by teaching the law of God, the teachings of God. You see, the pure religion of God. And so, you put a twist here in the right direction, and you go to the original. Now, the first time God used this terminology that later on in English was translated into congregation, you know, the whole congregation of Israel, as Stephen called it, uh, the church in the wilderness, in uh, chapter 7, I believe, book of Acts, in verse 38, I think. But he said uh, to Moses, you go and tell uh, all of Israel, while they were in Egypt, you take a lamb, keep it for four days, and then the whole congregation in English, the whole congregation of Israel shall kill the, the, the lamb. You see, in the, between the evenings. Now, he introduced a word there that was never introduced before for his own people because he had no nation before that. You know, there were just a b bunch of uh, slaves and uh, they were not unified, no code and all that stuff. So, for the first time, he called them a dam. In English translated into congregation, and he totally missed uh, uh, the point of seeing congregation because congregation is when you congregate, when you bring people together. For that, the word in Hebrew is kehilah. Or kahal, you see? Kahal, that's public, or people. And when you congregate them, you call them kehilah. And so you can have a small kehilah, a small congregation that congregate. And that's what you call, you know, all those churches within the big body of the church, of kehilah, congregation. But the word eda, that's totally different. Eda comes from the word ed, witness. You see? Witness. That's totally different. Because now God was going to make his nation, Israel, a body of witnesses. And mind you this word, 
will be repeated throughout the entirety of the Bible up to that. And it's extremely important to understand that from that point of view. And so when God wanted to make a point here, what he's going to call his people, and remember at that point he was going to sacrifice a lamb that was symbolic of the future event to come, and through that to sanctify them, purify them. In other words, now that he's going to take them to himself and make them his people, he wants them to go throughout the whole earth eventually and tell the whole world who is it really, the true God, to be witnesses. And so this is what he called them. And that's the beginning of what became known as later on the church. It's not just a house, you see. It's not just a kiriakon or a doma or the Lord's house. It's a real one, the household of God. And when you say the household of God, you're talking about the house of God, spiritually speaking. That's why later on, this terminology was uh, used mostly in spiritual terms. But now, the, the Eddah, in English translated to the congregation, became a spiritual congregation. A spiritual house. But that's exactly what God said at the time. I'm going to take you to me as my people, and I'm going to dwell in your midst. And the word dwell is Mishkan. From that came the sanctuary. And the King James, unfortunately, translated that to tabernacle. And the tent became tabernacle. And the booth that he commanded them to, to build on the, on the Feast of Booth became also tabernacle. And people get confused between these three. And they are totally different concepts. have no relationship one to the other. And, well, that's a part of the confusion of Babylon. Anyway, he called them Edom body of witnesses. So that's what a church means. Body of witnesses. Now it takes in all a special meaning. Not just a word. Not just a building. It's a body of witnesses. You have to witness who is the true God. What is his law? What is his plan of salvation? You see? Who are his people? What is his city? And so forth. And that's why Christ himself came to this earth as a witness to testify of the Father and of the plan of salvation and of his true church, and of the people of God, and all those things that God had in mind. So, it's extremely important to understand it and see it from God's point of view. Let us only read in, uh, in Psalm 82, verse 1, where it says, God stands in the congregation of God. You see? And the word there used is, again, Adam, or Edat. You see? Adat El. And that's what the name of the church of God is. Adat El. That means the body of witnesses of God, of the true God. Because there is a body of witnesses of the false God also out there. And there are always many. The prophets of Israel were always very few. But the false prophets of Israel were always many, and it's no different today. It's still the same story. And yet the majority of people follow the false witnesses and the false prophets, and they hate oftentimes the true prophets of God. And they killed them in those days, killed many of them. They would have killed many others if they could. And they would have done exactly the same today. Nothing is different. Because people don't like those who bring the testimony. The true testimony. That's why I said earlier, remember that word testimony. But you're going to see it all the way to the end, the book of Revelation. And you can throw that scripture at this point. Where God says later on, a couple of places in the book of Revelation. That who are the people of God? They are the ones who keep the commandments of God. Now, their own values and ethics and principles and all so forth. But the commandments of God, statutes and judgments and precepts and testimonies of God, you see, and have the testimony, a of God. 
the witness of God. Witness of what? Of who he is, what he is doing, through whom he is doing it. And all those things are together. And so in essence, what you have here, uh, you know, is a concept that is extremely important that those who are that are the church of God. And God said in, in Isaiah, several places, you are my witnesses. Atem edai in Hebrew, you are my witnesses. It's linked to the word eda, body of witnesses. Or that El, Church of God. It's all one word. But you see what happens in the translation? In the translation, you go into Babylon. That's what happens oftentimes in the translation. Unless you go and go deeply down and find out what is the difference between the counterfeit and the original, the genuine. And only the wise, only the wise shall understand. There are even jewelers who can be deceived by gold just looking at it. Or by a diamond when it is actually zirconium, not the real one. And they have to do real testing before they really find out what it really is. And some of those things are difficult to tell. You see, but the witnesses of God must have the true witness so they can witness of God and not a false God. And so basically you have here a very interesting thing. Sort of seven dimensions of this concept. I'll go through it quickly. Ed means witness. Edda Body of witnesses. That's called an English congregation. All at their own church. You see? And they have edut, testimony. You see? To the end of the book you see that. They have the testimony of God. Of who God is and so forth. The Sabbath was placed in that category. I give you the Sabbath as a sign. So you can testify through the keeping of this day who God is. Who is the creator and who you are. And that you are my people. And people forsake it to this very day. Those who had known better forsake the testimony. They do not have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so what do they do? Well, any other day is just as good as this day. Where do they get this concept from? Not from God. That's not his testimony. This is not what Moses was commanded to place in the ark of the testimony. This lie, any day is good. Somebody, you know, gathered some wood on the Sabbath and you find, you quickly realize that no, it wasn't good because he had to pay with his own life for it. And people think that God is different and change his mind. Or maybe he grew senile and totally forgot about it. And since I see that we're reaching the end of the tape, I'm going to stop at this point saying greetings to all of God's people, Mordecai Joseph, until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.